So the amount of athletes that I get, I talk to who are worried about being called a hypocrite, also scared of what the social media can do because it's a pretty tough place, social media, and especially for, for women as well and um, people of minority cultures, like they get it quite a lot. So you don't want to exacerbate that with speaking about speaking out about climate change because you'll get called a hypocrite. Welcome or welcome back to the Vertran podcast, Running Long. I'm your host, Francesco Puppi, and I'm a professional athlete for Nike and also a Vertran coach. Today's guest is James Hugh, a trail runner and outdoor adventurer from Wales, UK, who is also a science presenter, a geologist, an astronomy and climate scientist, and founder of Athlete Climate Academy. James' mission is to communicate science and make science look cool and accessible to people. With Kylian Journet, he founded the Athlete Climate Academy, a place to give outdoor athletes the background they need to discuss climate change and environmental issues with confidence. Climate change and environmental science is constantly being updated, so there is always a lot to know and new information coming out. In this episode, we talk about the language of science and how science should be a leading force in our society. We discuss the needs of individual and collective action when it comes to climate change, the impact of trail running and the outdoor industry on the environment, advocating for systemic change, and some actions that we can easily implement as individual to have a greater positive impact on climate change. For those of you who are new here, Vertran is the number one training app for trail and ultramarathon runners of all levels. Our mission is to make trail running accessible to everybody everywhere through affordable coaching. This is why all our coaching plans cost $25 a month. With your Vertran subscription, you will get a personal coach who checks in with you each week to answer your questions, adjust your training plan, and keep you accountable and inspired. For those of you who want to give training with Vertran a try, you can take 30% off your first month of training using the code RUNNINGLONG30. So here we go, without further ado, James Hugh. Hugh James, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, it's a pleasure to have you here on the podcast to talk about climate action, trail running, environmental activism, and everything that you do. Actually, all, the, all the really, really simple questions. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so before we start with our conversation, you're a science presenter and like you've made uh, science communication your main focus, your job. Um, could you give us a short presentation of who you are, where you come from and what you do for a living? Yeah, so my actual background is in astronomy and space science and geology. So I wanted to be a planetary geologist when I was when I was growing up. I wanted to be a paleontologist and when Jurassic Park came out and then I wanted to do other things and I ended up doing astronomy uh, and geology. But then I realized that like, acad academia and research is really difficult and 
I'm a little bit, I, I always try and find the easiest path for, for me. So I was like, oh, what could I do that's, that's not quite that, but still in science? And I ended up, after university, going to work at a science center. It's a big place where it's like a museum, but you can touch everything. So if you want to know about a bit of science, there'll be, if you want to know how hot air balloons fly, there'll be a, a, a thing that you can physically use to put hot air into a big bag and it rises up towards the the ceiling so it's all interactive science so i started working there and talking about how science works and those two are different things i think what is science and how science works and we can get into that for sure but it really took me down this path of how do we engage people with science how do we talk about it as scientists and how do we make sure that people are science literate uh, going forward? Because as we pr- go down this line of science becoming more and more complicated, people have less scientific literacy on how things work because how can you possibly know how everything works? So science communicators like me, we try and make sure that as much as possible, um, science, uh, the, the public know what scientists are doing where their tax money is going and the important science questions that they need to do. And I do all that from my base here in Wales, in, in South Wales, in the UK. Uh, born and bred here, grew up here. I get to travel quite a lot, so I'm happy that I always get to come home at the end of the week or month. <laughs> awesome. Uh, you already touched a topic that I wanted to dive in in our podcast, which is the language of science, because as you mentioned, it's definitely not something easy to understand, definitely not immediate. And it seems that oftentimes people are not literate enough, are not expert enough to understand it, but also not patient or interested enough to really uh, understand the language of science. And um, on the contrary, I think there is also a responsibility from science and science people to make themselves make themselves understandable by the general public so like can you explain this sort of contradiction and how can we all make a better job here as science people to make science popular yeah i'll start with the one of the two sides and that that's like being science and i work with scientists a lot whether this through companies like national geographic or through the universities themselves working with scientists on how to communicate their work better now it used to be like and i've had lots of people tell me lots of scientists that they have no interest in communicating with the public they want to do their science uh, and if the public want to know they can do some research themselves and they can learn and that's I think a, a way of doing science that started to go away a little bit with with the next generation coming up through who are just great communicators because they are they spend all their time doing it through social media and um, less so in, in real life but you know uh, we there's so many different ways of communicating now we're getting better and better at it um, and also that the in academia we're so used to talking to each other in complex terms especially within your own field. So in astronomy, for example, you know, an astronomy conference, you can talk to other people and you can say words that you do not need to then explain. Whereas, and that's easy, right? Like you, you grew up, you went through university, you did your, your bachelor's, you did your master's, you did your PhD, and now you work in academia. You use these terms that you don't have to 
explain to anyone. Then you got you get to a public conference or like you speak to the public and you have it's emotional labor then you have to think about is this term that I use going to be understood by everyone? And it's something we have to do. It's something that that you do as a, an Italian speaking English code switching is something that that I do as a, a Welshman with a strong accent that needs to be heard by other people. And it's something that we do in the worlds of trail running, for example. You know, what is a drop on a on a trainer? You know, what all these different things. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned Gore-Tex. People are not going to know. Many people who don't know in the outdoors industry won't know what Gore-Tex is. So the jargon and the, the language that we use, we always change. And there's new studies to suggest that we change the way that we talk and the language that we use for every single person in our lives. So that is fairly emotionally draining um, from from uh, your emotional cap. But to do that then for for scientists, it just it's an extra amount that you have to kind of think about. From the other exactly. side, from the public side, um, I think that we, like I said, science has got so intricate and so specialized I think it's one of the reasons we've started to go back towards conspiracy theories. The first thing that they asked me to do when I got to university was to go out and prove that the earth is, is, is a sphere. And it's really difficult to do. So we had to go out and prove using mathematics or using an experiment that the earth is a sphere. And it's actually really difficult to do that. So this push, and it's happened in a few kind of cycles, this push for like science being something you can hold on to, something you can touch, something you can observe. It really like people want that. They want science that they can observe and understand. But what we've ended up doing is becoming so specialized and technology is coming on so quickly is that we can't explain it anymore in, in the, you know, a, a recent example of that is AI. AI now looks like magic and it looks like intelligence to almost everyone and it's a trick it's like it's not actually intelligent it's like an actual magic trick where you know magic isn't real right but you suspend your disbelief enough so that you go ah oh, that's it seems like magic to me and ai is the same thing explaining ai and artificial intelligence large language models that kind of stuff for the public to go out and find that information by themselves, it's really difficult because it's so complicated and there's so much to it. So you need people like me, people who are science presenters, science communicators, and more scientists to explain that in a way that isn't filled with jargon, that isn't too complicated, that everyone can actually understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, great point. Um and uh, yeah, I was thinking how there is like a, an academic level where science is very complex and, you know, to contribute to science, you have to go very, very deep into a very specific topic. And then there is like the science that people should and could understand um, that has something to do with our reality and everyday life. And there is a sort of gap between those two things. Um, and of course, as people, we don't have to know everything in detail. It's impossible. Uh, the, the accumulation of knowledge is just too large for us to 
to understand everything that there is to explore and to know. But um, I think here it's, you know, it's one of the most important challenges uh, that science is facing right now, I think, um, that like science should be at the service of humanity, I think, and um, should be like a leading force for our society. And um, what I was thinking is also like, it seems that some people, or actually a lot of people have lost some trust in science. And, you know, thinking about climate change or what happened during the COVID, the COVID pandemic with lots of fake news, false claims and conspiracy theories. And right now, for some people, science is not something that they trust and uh, they don't question without, the, of course, the necessary, the necessary proofs because it's important to understand that science can only be questioned through other scientific research, but people's opinion or, or perceptions or beliefs don't really matter, of course. And I think here the media has a lot of responsibility in it. So what are some of the reasons uh, for these situations, uh, according to you? I think you, you touched on it there. There's probably three players in the game. There's the public, there's the media, and there's the scientists themselves. And, you know, it's not an accident that, that the public has started to, to distrust experts. And that's experts ac across the, the spectrum, whether that's politicians, scientists, uh, or whoever. So that's a lot of it is an active people are, are, are telling you because of their own agendas that they that you shouldn't trust the experts whatever that that field is in whether that's in climate science whether it's in big tobacco whether it's in um whatever right so we have to always and it's one of the things we do in athlete climate academy is how do we go out and find trustworthy sources of news trustworthy sources of information and that's it's actually really difficult in the, the the current landscape whether that's the actual media or social media it is becoming increasingly difficult to find good information um recently in the um the gaza conflict they with a study that they they looked at was how much i think it was it was twitter it would make sense if it was of like x amount of time how much is actual real information and how much is disinformation or misinformation disinformation being purposefully wrong misinformation accidentally wrong and 90 percent of it was either disinformation or misinformation and 10 percent was actually real news so you know when I, when i see people come out and and they have the wrong climate science i'm always asking where they got it from always asking you know where can i find that same source of information hopefully it's not social media because we should never really get our news from social media it's not what they were designed for but the media plays a huge part social media and uh, tv media in getting that information across we as scientists um have to play a part in that in being always being upfront and honest and transparent there's a big push for open access at the moment in in the research industry 
that's to make sure that everyone has access to the papers that we write. And I think that's really important. And we should also be writing really plain language versions of those papers too, whether that's in the abstract, like a longer version of that, or whether it's a separate thing that you write to, to go with it. So people can, can look up and understand what it is and also talk about it more. We have, as scientists, uh, an obligation, I think, to go out and, and communicate with the public as, as much as we can. So we've got the um, the public, we've got the, the media, um, and the scientists all playing a part. From the public side, I think the public are doing as much as they probably can to, to take part in, in science. Um, it's difficult to to get into now it's so um specialist and so uh far along in in how intricate it can be but one of the things i'd always push people to do in science is to be open to it so maths is a, is a great example of um you know i hear a lot of people say oh, i'm just not very good at maths or i was never good at maths at school i don't do maths and you would never say that about like a language, right? Like whether it's Italian, Welsh, English, you wouldn't be like, oh, I don't do that. Because it's not like that's not something that you can just do. So with maths, it's the same thing that we have to be open to it and have a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset. Be open to the things that we learn, not closed off from it. And I feel that way about science as well. Um, I was speaking to someone recently about astronomy and space science huge like topic cosmology like space is a very very big place yeah and and the person i was talking to said i just whenever i hear that i just my brain just shuts off i just stop thinking about it and i think that that fixed mindset rather than asking the question oh i can learn more about this or i can be more open to it or i can just think about you know there was nothing before the big bang and there was no time and no space so it wasn't as if the big bang was stuff exploding into space it was an expansion of space and time itself and that's a huge thought an idea but it doesn't mean you have to shy away from it and not think about it um it means that oh maybe i can think more about that climate change is the same it's so huge it's probably the most complicated amalgamation of science interdisciplinary science that we've ever tried to do so i understand why people fix mindset and go away from it but i think for the public and in the you know the trust in experts and being open to stuff we need a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset to go with it yeah and i think here like the fact that people sometimes are not very open to learning and understanding new things is like a I don't know, a coping mechanism, a sort of dis defensive uh, strategy for them to not be overwhelmed or because, you know, like learning and studying and getting more familiar with a topic takes time, energy, and it's just hard sometimes. So also the example that you made about mathematics, uh, like I think sometimes people tend to be you know, oh yeah, I don't, I don't like math. I don't care about it, just because it's almost cool to show, to to show other people to be that way. <laughs> but 
I wish it was the opposite, you know. It's cool to be into science. It's cool to be, to you know, to do research and to understand more about climate change, um, you know, all the topics that in the end have a big impact on our life and society as a whole, um, which is, of course, the next topic that I wanted to get into. Um, you mentioned the Athlete Climate Academy, and um, I wanted to ask you more about it because, of course, uh, this podcast is mainly about your running, and this is a hook, the perfect hook to talk about it. So you founded uh, Athlete Climate Academy in collaboration with the Kilian Journey Foundation and Kilian Journey himself. So what is it, and uh, what, is, what is maybe something interesting that you've learned through this project? Yeah, do you want me to do a long introduction about who Killian Jornet is, or do you reckon <laughs> people might, I might think the audience know is familiar who enough. he is? <laughs> yeah. So I reached out. Killian started his foundation, I think it was like during during COVID, and yeah. I reached out to the foundation and said, "Look, I've had this idea for a while um, to mix science communication, um, climate science, and climate communication." with professional trail runners i think that there's something in that that professional trail runners have this huge not only reach but passion to talk about the things that are changing in the the places that they spend time and the foundation reached back and said you know killian's really interested he'll he'll reach back to you soon so we started chatting and then i'm not even sure when that was maybe 2021 it's hard to believe that it's now 2023. <laughs> We're nearly in 2024. So for about two years, Killian and I developed the Athlete Climate Academy. The idea of it, if it was even um, needed and wanted by the, the community of trail runners and outdoor professionals in general. And we found that it was. We did it in our quote-unquote spare time. Um, all the, the spare time that Killian has and um, believe it or not I'm pretty busy too so we developed it and just made some podcasts and made some videos did some live sessions and it turned out that the community did see something in it, they did want to talk about it and the idea was to make a, a myriad of different ways to talk about climate science, what's happening um, and understand it from a base level up so i made a bunch of and there's a bunch of explainers on the website on athleteclimateacademy.com about what is climate change because we don't really you know we think about climate change and what is it and we don't think about it from a from a base level of what is happening what have we done to the earth and why is that leading to a warming of the the climate and it's the same for lots of different points in, in climate science is like what have we fundamentally done and how has that made it change? So, And I honestly believe that when you explain to people not only what to do, but why to do it, it makes them change the way they think about it. I often explain the, the example of turning your phone on to flight mode when you're on a flight, that I know so many people who don't bother doing that or will turn it on when we're coming into land. And when you realize why they ask you to do it, it's it's because the navig they need the navigation to not have that extra haze of electro um, electronic waves around it, and you realize I was on a flight once where 
they were so foggy they asked everyone to turn their phones actually off because they couldn't have any kind of change in the in the navigation systems so when you know why to do something you're more people are really intelligent and they, they're more willing to to make that change so we thought the same for, for climate science yeah exactly so if if you want someone to change the way they think about climate science you have to tell them why things are happening in the way that they're happening and we did we cha- we started athlete climate academy because we thought that professional athletes are intelligent enough um passionate enough and they care enough to learn why it's happening and what we should do to combat that So yeah, the next logic question is, do you see enough environmental awareness and uh, also environmental activism by trail athletes, especially the elites? This is a really interesting question. I mean, it's, because... it's, it's really never enough, but exactly. you know, we tend to believe that other people and trail athletes have a higher environmental awareness compared to you know other sports people and that's maybe true so like in some way it makes it makes us feel better because we're like above average but is that actually enough and uh, how are we you know influencing or talking to people about climate change do you want like i said it's a really interesting question because over the lot we've been talking about climate change for over 100 years You know, you look back, you can see articles in newspapers about burning of coal and what that will do eventually to the climate. You go back to the 1970s, the wonderful Carl Sagan was doing talks like to the US Senate about climate change and, and what the greenhouse effect will do to the planet. So there's been these actions over the years, over the, the past few decades, about how, what climate change, what, what is climate change? burning of fossil fuels, what it'll do to the environment. So it's people have been doing things for a long time. Ours isn't the first generation that have started to to do that. But what I have seen, and I've been doing climate change communications in some way or form for about 20 years, a little bit under that. Uh, I came straight out of university and started working in that kind of sector. For the British Council, I was a, a climate change champion, I think, at the time. Have, and that was my first gig, really, and so I wasn't really a champion. But um, we started writing communication about climate change and the pedagogy or the the teaching of climate change to the public, how we do it best. And over the past 20 years, I have seen such an increase in the media, in the public, and in the professional science community of how we talk about climate change. It is. I was. I I now go to outdoors events to specifically do talks about climate change. I'm on a podcast about trail running specifically to talk about climate change. You know, that wouldn't have happened 20 years ago. We just are so much further along than we than we were 10 years ago or 15 years ago. So I think we're doing loads. Uh, and I'm really impressed by how the, the trail running community and the outdoor community in general I've taken it on board, the outdoor brands as well. Obviously, none of it's quick enough. Like That's the the real kind of caveat in all this is we just don't have the time to waste to kind of get everything kind of going. We need 
impact by 2030 and then by 2050. But I am super impressed with, with how much now we talk about this. I'm saying all this from my little bubble of Hugh James climate communicator bubble. So I'm obviously talking about it every day anyway. But uh, honestly, anecdotally, the amount of trail runners and outdoor athletes and brands that I see who are genuinely now passionate about this in the trail running community, um, who are stepping up and saying, hey, um, this race is not good enough. We want it to, we want it to be better. Because, not because we hate you, but because we love the sport and we love the race. We just need, if we're going to do it and keep a, a semi-clean conscience, you need to be doing better. And there's no reason why you shouldn't be doing better. So I honestly think this, the trail running community specifically is doing some really, really wonderful stuff. And the outdoor world uh, as well is doing some good things too. Yeah, that's great. So we're in a good place, but we need to keep pushing in this direction. Um, yeah, there is because, there is no reason course, not to. There's no reason not to keep pushing. Um, there's yeah, no yeah. reason not to keep pushing. We we need it faster. We need it um, better. And I always love. I can't remember whose quote this was. You know, if we end up putting up more solar solar panels, stop burning fossil fuels, more wind turbines, electric cars, or better public transport, you know. And all of it turns out to be wrong, that climate science got it all wrong. Oh, hey, we've, we've accidentally created a wonderful world with less air pollution and just, a, and just a more equal society for no reason. Like, there's no, there's no reason not to, to make the transition to renewable energies, put better public transport in and equalize the way that the economy works for everyone, because that would just make a better world. And why not? Well, plus, of course, science is telling us that it is uh, the way to go. Exactly. Like it is one of the solutions to the climate crisis. So, yeah. of course, it validates this idea. Yeah. Um, from your own perspective as a scientist and a science communicator, what do you think is the perception about climate change by the outdoor community? Like when you ask you know, a trail runner or a snowboarder or, a, you know, a Nordic, Nordic skier, whoever uh, does an outdoor sport about climate change. What is their impression? Like climate change is a problem or is like one of the main challenges or, of our society or like something that I don't care much about, something that people are telling me i should care but i don't care you know what is the perception by the average outdoor, outdoor person when i first started doing climate communication a while back the the perception was or the the thing that i would tell people when i would do schools talks uh when i would do talks for the public was we need to prepare for climate change and we need to start doing these things because when climate change arrives, this is what's going to happen. It's one of my big, life's biggest regrets that I phrased it that way. It's how important language is when it comes to communicating science because climate change had already arrived. Like 20 years ago, it was already happening. We'd already seen the effects. And now it's just so much more evidence. So for the general public now, 
by large, people understand that climate change is happening. And the discussions now where it used to be, is climate change happening or not? That's no longer the discussion. The discussion is, what do we do to curb it uh, in a way that would have a dramatic effect? And what do we do then to adapt to the climate crisis? So I'm really happy that, you know, in the public, we've we've made that step into it's no longer yes or no on the climate crisis. There's always going to be deniers out there for everything, conspiracy theorists. I met one just the other day, but, you know, the discussion with this guy I met the other day, who was a bit of a climate denier, was, you know, it's a, um, it's a conspiracy. They're trying to get us to eat less meat because of, I don't know, big tofu for some reason, maybe, um, one, one, one all our money now, um, and things. So we still have those discussions for sure, but we've, we've made that step into the next thing. And I get it yeah, for every are, single athlete I talk to as well. We're the second stage of the problem. Yeah, exactly. We've, 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 if we were, if the planet was an alcoholic, we've, we've gone to Alcoholics Anonymous and said, we have a problem. Um, and we're now saying, what should we do about it? Do we go cold turkey? Do we wean ourselves off? What's safe and what's good to do? To, to do? And that's, that's great. We're at the next step. Unfortunately, like I said, we, we have very little time to, to get this in action. And athletes in general, the ones I talk to, and remember, it's a little bubble around me of like climate positive people. Um, mm-hmm. If uh, people I talk to, like, in general, understand there's a problem and would like to to solve that problem. I'm very empathetic in the fact that some of them don't think it's their problem. And to a large extent, it's not. In representative democracies, where we ask people to go and solve our problems for us, like that's the reason we vote people in, is because we want them to solve these problems. They're supposed to look after us as as their citizens they should be solving this problem but what we're finding is that they're not <laughs> that, yeah. that there are some plans in place uh, and things uh, we're starting to so the public in general are now having to carry these politicians on our shoulders and say you know you're not doing this work quick enough or hard enough we're going to either vote you out or we're going to kind of push you further to to do that and athletes and i i often uh separate um younger athletes and older athletes or less experienced and more experienced athletes maybe into uh, i was just talking about this on a different podcast that for young athletes coming up and through who want to prove themselves want to um be the best of the best you know, if someone wants to take the, the goat crown, you know, the greatest of all time, how are you going to do that without fully committing to what it is you're trying to do, right? For people up and coming through the through the ranks, I kind of feel like it isn't up to them to, to think about this kind of stuff. It's for for the people like me who've had a, a maybe our parents, who've had like a full lifetime of, you know, our our parents' generation in their sixties and seventies, and now, you know, they've had a full lifetime of of messing about, and now we're finding out the consequences of of that. You know, having been in all the fossil fuels and and making all the money from the economy and everything that goes with it, and now we're a generation. The next generation is finding out 
the implications of that. It turns out burning all those fossil fuels wasn't a great idea. So this next generation coming up, you know, we, we're asking them to, to do all these things together, to focus on their careers, to be the best trail runner that they can be, and also then um, care about the climate crisis and push their politicians to do more. If you're not looking to become the best of the best and spending all your time dedicated towards that, then maybe there's scope for you to to get involved in advocacy and education and and all these other things. You know, I think that you can start to do more if you want to concentrate less on on these other things. But then the, am I going to categorize Killian in the older generation? <laughs> maybe I am. Maybe because <laughs> the the Killians and and the Alex Arnolds of the world that that have now, you know, and I I can't say had their careers because. As we know with trail running, you just it feels like you get better with age. But like who've already proven how good they are. Like now now's the time for them to, to go, right, let's let's change it up, let's um see how the trail running world can be better or the climbing world can be better. And you know, for it, them to have a broader impact as to have a broader climate impact. activists and yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So maybe we can pick up the slack there and say, hey, like 18, 19 year olds, you don't have to like, every day be thinking about the climate crisis. We'll do a lot of that for you. You concentrate on the on the sport coming up through the ranks. And when you get to to this stage, then you pick up, pick up. So it's a bit like a, you know, a relay. Yeah. Now, you know, we, we could all be doing more education and uh, thinking about stuff more for sure. Um I think people like uh, yourself and there's a bunch of trail runners who go above and beyond uh, what, you know, spending yourselves probably quite thin on um, on all sides to make sure that you are the best that you can be from a climate conscious person, but also from a trail running aspect as well. Um, and that is, well, I'm always impressed with, with the stuff that, that you do. Um, so looking to someone like you as a role model was, would probably be what I'd always encourage from other athletes, for sure. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I agree about giving the younger generation uh, like the possibility to, you know, focus on, on the sport and being better athletes. While I'm not saying like not making climate action a priority because it should be one of their priorities, but put that into a framework that is better than the previous generation. And that's, that should happen thanks to the action of the previous generation who is now advocating for change and uh, has done something to, to help this problem. So yeah, I, I probably never looked at this problem from this perspective, but I, I like it. And um, talking about sponsored athletes, um, I think there is always a little bit of like an, a feeling of hypocrisy for the fact that, you know, you are sponsored athletes, maybe from a big brand, like in my case, that is definitely contributing to the climate crisis it's definitely one of the issues and maybe it's not even doing much to to change or help this issue. So like there is this threat of being called an hypocrite 
and um, because you're a sponsored athlete. So why are you talking about climate change and, you know, mitigating the impact uh, of your actions or like lowering your carbon footprint? How do you, how do you see that? And I'm not saying there is a solution to this, but how can we reframe this thought? Last year, a local paper wrote an article about me and I, you know, with, when you, when you have stuff in the paper, you, you really get to see the headline, you just see the, what the, the reporter will, will write as the text sometimes. And I sent, I have, a, I have a folder in Dropbox that is full of photos and I send that over to whoever asks me for, for a photo so they can download it from there. And I sent it over to them and weeks later, I got a ping on, on Twitter saying so-and-so has mentioned you it was Wales online and it was the headline was with a picture of me getting out of a helicopter it was uh this guy travels all around the world to teach people about climate science and I was like oh my gosh that couldn't be the worst a worst headline and photo mix the the photo was from we'd just been teaching a bunch of um of teachers or educators about the Mendenhall Glacier in, in Alaska so we took them onto the top to teach them about like how old the glacier was what ha was happening to the glacier with climate change um, how many people rely on the fresh water to come from it so we were doing a big like teaching thing and but of course it just looked like this guy <laughs> is traveling around the world in a helicopter and teaching people about climate science so all the comments from that were oh my God, what a hypocrite. This guy just travels the world in a helicopter and talks about climate change. Perhaps you should do it by public transport or whatever. I understand that because it looks like... And to, to the outside world, you know, if you talk about climate change and on your podcast one day, if they listen to it and then they go onto your Twitter and they see you've just flown to the US for like Western States or, or something, they're going to be like, well, this guy clearly doesn't care because he's flying... I've just listened to him talk about climate change and now he's flying across the world. And we know that flying is bad for the environment. So the amount of athletes that I get, I talk to who are worried about being called a hypocrite, also scared of what the social media can do because it's a pretty tough place, social media, and especially for, for women as well and um, people of minority cultures, like they get it quite a lot. So... You don't want to exacerbate that with speaking about speaking out about climate change because you'll get called a hypocrite, rightfully so. You right to be like worried about that kind of thing. But as you know, Protect Our Windows talks about a lot, um, and many of the athletes that, that we talk to, being an imperfect advocate of not necessarily of knowing our flaws and embracing them uh, is just the way forward. Like knowing that. You know, in uh, in January, I'm heading to Antarctica and up to into Patagonia and then up to, into the Amazon jungle. I'm trying to, to save a little bit of air miles by doing that all in the same trip so I don't have to cross across the Atlantic a, a couple of times. But that's still a bunch of flights, right? The, the work that we're working on out there is actually with the Honnold Foundation in the Amazon jungle, looking at the first solar-powered boat to go in. So we're making a film about it. And I would hope that my carbon handprint, the good that I do with the carbon that I use, would be bigger than my carbon footprint. 
the the carbon that I leave behind from doing that task. And I that's the, the kind of way I think about it is like, am I just taking a transatlantic flight just to have uh, just go and watch a boxing match or something? Nothing against boxing; people love it. I don't fully understand why, but people do. Um, but you know, is the is it just for holiday or is it just for for fun? Is there a reason to do it? You know, I I think for a lot of athletes, doing trail races is a good reason to to go into that, especially if you're trying to to become better known or you know to add to your yearly training or um, races. But is there is there a couple that you can like put together into you know if you're going to America for one race, is there other ways you can do it at the same time, stay for a little bit longer? I'm always trying to stay longer in places, so I, because it's just more fun. If I'm going to the Alps, I'll drive down. I want to spend three weeks there, not just one week, you know. But you be the amount of people who fly there for a weekend from the UK is quite high. So the hypocrites, um, the thing that people get thrown at uh, most is often the people who think about it most. I don't fully understand why I did a, a session in Boston and they asked me, should we be flying you all the way to Boston to talk about climate change? And it was an outdoor event. And I wondered how many other people they asked, should should we be doing this? Should you be flying out to talk about this? So for some reason, the people who care most about climate change and the climate crisis and, and that get held to such a higher standard than anyone else who are not talking about it. Yeah. You know, and I don't... I, I suppose I understand why that's the case, but I don't understand why that's fair. You know, Greta Thunberg gets so much more scrutiny than anyone else, like from the tech yes. sector or from or from anything else. Like, why is she being held to a higher standard in terms of her travel and everything else when everyone else is doing the same or more? You know, so for, for athletes, um, especially ones who are conscious, they're going to worry about it the most. And I worry about, People need to take care of their mental health and their anxiety as a first and foremost thing. Um, but just know that we're all imperfect advocates. You are doing good by talking about climate change. Your carbon handprint is going to be high. Um, and we all will need to reduce our carbon footprint. But don't let that be the thing that crushes you, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, 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 exactly. Two things that I wanted to highlight. Uh, one is the influence that as a public person, as a pro athlete, I have, uh, because I'm a, yeah, I'm a public person. Um, my voice is maybe more amplified than the voice of other people. So it feels important to me to like choose a side and stand for something and like let other people know that I care about this issue deeply, even if I'm not perfect by any means. And also about regarding perf perfection, I feel I feel it's important to show a middle way, like not pretend to be perfect, because it can be very detrimental for to take to take action. Like, okay, if the standard is it is is so high, it's not even worth trying, you know. But I feel it's important to at least try. I'm not perfect, but you're definitely going in the right direction. And um, zooming out a little bit, I think it's also important to understand that, you know, probably trail runners or like other people, people like us 
are not actually the problem. Like it's important to understand that we can always, we can all do something on an individual level. But like, I think the stats showed that 1% of the richest people cause more than like 50% of the greenhouse gas emissions. And like, think how much politicians can do, think about how much CEOs of, you know, big oil companies um, can do, and they're not doing much about it. So like, yeah, of course, I can choose to use public transport to go to a race or to avoid a transcontinental flight uh, and maybe not doing an American race. But is that actually the problem? So, you know, it's always a balance between the big picture and the individual action that we can all take. And uh, and this is... This is a difficulty yeah. for climate communication and climate advocacy. Is this really delicate balance between saying, hey, as an individual, you could make a difference. And also, hey, yeah. as an individual, you make no difference whatsoever. And yeah. you kind of have to hold both of those things in your, in your head at the same time. Because, of course, if we multiply those individual actions by everyone who lives... You know, especially us in the Western world that have a, a larger carbon footprint than most, especially those in in uh, other locations. You know, if we make changes, those can have outweighed impacts. But you know, if I choose to to not do one transatlantic flight, I know there's a business person taking a um, a private jet, and I'm pretty sure private jets each seat on a private jet is about 14 times more carbon than you know 14 flights. Uh, of an individual taking a transatlantic flight, for example. So there's always going to be people like that. You go, well, I'm I'm glad I recycled my that tin of soup, and then find out that fossil fuel companies just spilling uh, oil in the Gulf of Mexico. It does feel yes. sometimes like a real you're not having an impact, but morally and like we should try and. All of that brings the conversation to the forefront of our minds. If we're yep. trying, it, you know, if we're recycling and if we are, because recycling is, at the moment, the way things get recycled is really low impact for the environment. Like, yep. almost, it feels like I shouldn't even bother recycling <laughs> because what's the point when it just goes into landfill often anyway? But if I'm trying to just be that way and have it, just be conscious and society then it grows into like the, our local councils and from our local councils to our local government from our local government to our, lo our local group of countries it starts to like and i've seen this over the last 20 years people talk about it it becomes a kitchen table issue and then politicians will say oh hey this is a big issue i should have a stance on this or i can use this to like drum up support and those individual actions they might not have a direct impact on carbon often, but they do have an effect on, on everything. And I understand this way in those two yeah. things in your mind is, is, is difficult and takes a mental gymnastics. Yeah. It's a kind of clash between contradicting things that we need to, to be okay with actually. And it's, it's difficult from a mental standpoint. Um, final question to, conclude our conversation um 
you know, besides buying less, flying less and recycling and all the stuff we, that we keep repeating, that is definitely important, but it's always individual action. What is something that we can do to have a bigger positive impact on climate change? Like, how can we look at the problem from a different angle than just our own perspective? Yes, it's a really difficult one because we often see that, um, that you have to make all these big changes to have a, a huge impact. Um, I suppose there's a few like concrete things that, that we can do. One of them is just changing your... If you're lucky enough to have a pension, <laughs> which not all of us really are in today's society, uh, changing that to a fossil-free pension is great. Great one. If you work for a, a council, like if you work for local government, knowing where your pension is held and where that does it go towards subsidizing uh, fossil fuel companies or you know that kind of thing. What banks do you use? Banks are another great one. The digital yeah. ones now uh, are really really good. How can we move away from our the the finance of fossil fuels is the biggest one of the biggest things. I yeah. Think. So the finance is one. Where do you put your bank? Who who do you bank with? Where is your pension? Um, that kind of thing. The other one then is in the politics. And it's not much of an effort at an at an individual level. Like a small action no. can make a ton of difference. In That's what we, we call a high impact difference for sure. Yes. Like the finance option is a high impact one. If you don't want to do much just with the high impact ones voting in um climate progressive politicians also yes. just huge like finding out who cares about climate in your area almost like almost the other things don't matter at this stage like we need to vote in climate progressive politicians to do good things um so from the politics and the finance side that's good from the individual side a big thing you can do is reduce the amount of red meat in your diet as like a huge factor it's all to do with efficiencies in food red meat is just the least efficient way of creating food uh like a hundred pounds of um feed go to produce i think around a pound of beef it's not really that efficient in the way that we organize our food um so have it a lot less don't need to cut that out completely locally grown is always better because you know where it's come from it's probably going to be grass-fed rather than soy-fed um, and reducing other things that have high impact like that. Unfortunately, things like dairy are quite high impact. So maybe having that less in when I'm in the Alps, fondue is always a, a big thing. I do have fondue <laughs> when I'm over there. I do love cheese. But, you know, dairy comes from the same places that cows come from. Cows are, unfortunately, not bad for the environment, but they have a huge impact. So they outweigh the other stuff. So chicken is a better protein if if you can go down from chicken to vegetarian options that's great too less less flying uh flying is if you don't need to do it don't if you do need to do it do um but flying not only does it create carbon emissions but it also it's where we put those carbon emissions we put them into the high atmosphere uh which you know we've seen the um the contrails behind uh behind aircraft that has a different type of impact than just the carbon emissions themselves so it almost has a a higher impact in in general and then using the car less is always a a great one unfortunately in today's society we've for the last 40 years built 
cities, built environments, built the way we get around by car. Um, people invested heavily in cars, and that's now the world that we live in. So hopefully over the next coming decades, we'll move more towards public transport again and cycling places and walking places. Um, that's not always um, doable for everyone. Um, but I'm hoping that we go towards that. So asking for more public trans transport to go back in, finding different ways to get around is also a, a high impact thing from an individual's point of view. Yes. Yes, because uh, I was thinking it's not about asking people to do more sacrifice, but it's to make people's life easier by taking these actions, I think. And in the end, this is a political thing. So that's why we need to care about who we vote and what policies are in place. And yeah, like how can we make our society better from as a whole, from a bigger it's that perspective? outweighs impact again. Like me yes. as, uh, as Hugh James from the South Wales Valleys can have very little impact compared to someone who's the CEO of an oil company who can make those of big course. decisions or the president of the United States or, you know, even a local politician. But just one more thing on the individual front is the thing that we tell everyone is to have conversations about this. I think that's one of the yes. biggest things, like a, a soft action rather than a hard action is just talk to people. When you're on the trail, when you've got running, notice things that have changed, like talk about what's happening in local politics, what's happening in, you know, people say we don't like we say we don't do maths we don't do politics like especially around the dinner table we should start talking about politics around the dinner table again because that's when we have conversations it's when we cement in our own minds our own values and maybe we change them you know you talked about you know the fear of putting stuff on social media and getting stuff wrong sometimes we get stuff wrong and that's okay we can change our minds we can adapt to different things it doesn't mean we change our values it just means that new science or new things have, have, have come up. So having more conversations on the ski lift, on the trail, at home, is, I think, one of the biggest things that we can do to help show our politicians and the scientists and even the oil industry that we want a better future for everyone. Thank you, James. It's been a, a huge pleasure. And uh, yeah, I hope to keep this conversation going because uh, I feel it's a of course, it's one of the most important topics of our society. So thank you very much. Grazie mille. Thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> yeah. And uh, just to close the episode, I encourage everyone to go on Athlete Climate Academy. There is a lot of resources, education, videos um, that you can you know, learn from. And uh, of course, don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions or suggestions or anything. Thank you so much for listening to our great interview today. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting us with a rating and a review in your podcast player or by sharing it on social media, tagging me and Vertron. We would really appreciate that. If you haven't already downloaded the Vertron app, I encourage you to do so. There, you can connect for free with our trail runners of all levels in the Vertran community in our in-app groups. You can stay in trail shape with our free workout videos and get affordable coaching for your next trail running goal for only $25 a month. Thanks again for being here today. Until next time, I'm Francesco Puppi. 
Thank you for listening to Running Long. <laughs>